And all of God's people say, thank you, Lord, for you. Thank you, team. In a uh, beautiful cathedral in Europe stands a magnificent stained glass window, high towering above the altar. It was so exquisite, it was so beautiful, that people literally came from all over the world to just gaze and to admire that beautiful work of art. Until one day, a very violent storm came through the town and literally shattered that stained glass window, that beautiful work of art, into a thousand pieces. The church custodian hesitated to discard of those fragments, and so he decided to gather them literally patiently and carefully, uh, uh, piece by piece by piece, and then he put them all in a large box and stored them in the church basement. A few years later, an artist petitioned the trustees of that cathedral if he can take these fragments. They're not going to do anything with them. They voted to go ahead and uh, give them to the artist. Two years later, that same artist invited the trustees and certain members of the community to come into his studio. And when they came to the studio, he unveiled that major work of art. And to their utter amazement, to their utter surprise, they saw the restored work of that stained glass window more beautiful and more exquisite than before. I think most of us, at some point, have experienced storms in life. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I think without, it's given, most of us have been through some storms in life. Some have experienced storms that are very shattering, just like that window being shattered. Uh, and yet, many of us could still testify to the fact that with the blasting of the storms of life, there was a blessing from the hand of God. I know that I'm not the only one who has been there, in fact, several times in my life. How many times that we experience life's blasting either before or after the incredible blessings of God. Now, beloved, I want to tell you one thing that you already know. Our God specializes in restoring the fragments of life into something more beautiful and more meaningful. Our God specializes in remaking beauty out of ashes. Our God specializes in giving garments of praise instead of sackcloth. In fact, I often find that the blasting of life storms and the blessing, blessing of God, they sort of go hand in hand almost. Um, life's high and low uh, they are close companions. Uh, the triumph and the tragedy often follow each other. And that's precisely where we find our friend Elijah today. He's experiencing great blessings, supernatural miracles, and then life's blasting. Let me stop just for a moment to remind you, especially if you have not been here in the last two messages as we began this new series, The Visible Hand of the Invisible God, that we saw, first of all, this is uh, a kind of recap. We saw a man by the name of Elijah the Tishabite from Gilead. We, we, don't we know nothing about him. He just comes out from nowhere uh, to confront the immorality 
and the idolatry and the corruption that has gripped Israel by confronting the king of Israel, Ahab. And right after that confrontation, you think this is the launching of a ministry, this is a launching of prophetic ministry, but right after that confrontation, God literally takes him and He hides him in Jordan, in the country of Jordan, in a, near a ravine or a, a, a brook that's called Kareth. There, God was actually working on His servant. He's preparing him. And we saw how God's hiding places for each of us, whenever we are in God's hiding places, there are places of preparation, purpose, and provision. Then we saw how Elijah became the victim of his own prophecy about the drought and the lack of rain, and that ravine or the brook dried up. And yet God was not through with him yet. God is not through with any of us yet. If you're sitting here breathing, God is not through with you yet. He's got some great plans for you if you would only listen and obey. God continued in preparing His man. He's preparing His servant, in preparing Elijah. He was preparing him for one of the greatest confrontation between Yahweh and Baal ever in biblical history. And so he sends him to a widow in Zarephath. And we saw how the word Zarephath actually means smelly because that town stunk because they melted metal, purified metal. And there in this town where they were melting metal, purifying it, God was purifying his servant. There, he takes him from Jordan to south of Lebanon. Not in Israel, outside. And there, God gave Elijah an opportunity to exercise risking faith. But it's one thing to exercise risking faith yourself, and it's a whole different ballgame when you challenge other people to exercise risking faith. They're really sticking your neck out. <laughs> and that's what he's doing here. And faith, and in asking this widow, the Baal-worshipping widow, at the very heart of Baal-worshipping country, to risk in faith on the promises of God, and she does. And just as the miracle of a tiny handful of flour and a few drops of oil turned out to be an endless supply of food for that widow and her family, endless supply of blessings, just as they're experiencing supernatural blessings of God, day after day after day, a storm hits. Now I want you to turn with me, please, to 1 Kings 17, 17. 1 Kings 17, 17 is the last, these all three messages, the last two and this one, from that chapter, 17. And if you haven't been here, I would encourage you, please download the previous messages, because th th this is the narrative. One thing follows the other. That's why I had to summarize it, just in case you weren't here. Page 556, 556 in the Pew Bible, and if you don't have one right in front of you, ask somebody, pass one to you. I want you to follow with me in the Scripture, please. And I, ple I pleaded with you the first Sunday of, 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 in this series and to bring your Bibles with you because it's very important. But some of the things I'm going to share with you, I'm sharing my heart with you, if you don't need them now, you will need them down the road. And as you're finding that passage, I want to warn you, this is a warning Here, you're going to see God moving His testing of His servant. He's moving that testing from passive testing to a active testing. I know what it's about. Uh, you, many of you know, too, what it means to be actively tested and to be passively tested. 
God doesn't stay in the passive testing. He always takes us into an active testing. Here, we will see how after the blessings of a handful of flour and a few drops of oil, they turned into endless supply of food. Then comes calamity, comes calamity and death. Here, while the widow and her son, and we saw that her whole family were experiencing daily miracles and blessings, daily provision from the hand of God that's coming supernaturally, supreme tragedy hits. Her son dies. Her son dies. <laughs> now, the literal Hebrew word here is that his soul left him. As if the Scripture wants us to be sure, this was not a coma or fainting. This was absolutely, no doubt, death. Look at verse 18. The woman said to Elijah when her son died, what do you have against me, man of God? Now, I want you to watch the rest of this sentence, okay? Underline it. I'm going to come back to it again and again because it's very important. It's very important for every one of us. Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Now, I need to stop here, right here, and tell you very important reality check, very important. In verse 16... Just look it up, a couple of verses. Verse 16, we saw it in the last message. God miraculously blessed and provided. And verse 17 immediately follows verse 16. Balaf, tragic calamity. Two verses, 16, great blessing, 17, calamity. But we all can learn from the cry of this woman. We all can learn something very important. Listen to me. I've been around a long time, and I've seen it over and over again. Look at verse 18 again with me. Her cry and what she said in verse 18, are you listening? very natural. It's very natural. Please, please, please do not allow anyone, including yourself, <laughs> to put yourself under false guilt simply because you have asked God why. The question why is very natural. Are you listening to me? It is very natural. Don't let a legalist tell you, oh, you should not question God. All of the great heroes of the Bible, and it would take me a day to go through them all, all have asked why. In the book of Judges, chapter 6, when the Midianites were coming in and decimating Israel, Gideon said, why did God allow this to happen? Job, a man of wealth and considerable influence and power, wonderful family, large family, fortune, and he lost them literally overnight. He ended up on a heap of rubble from where he was. And he asked God, why was I not stillborn? Even our precious Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came from heaven for the very purpose of dying on a cross. When he hung on that cross, he said, Eli, Eli, lima shabachthani. Why have you forsaken me? Why? So please, please, do not put yourself under false guilt when you ask why. Can I get an Amen.
when you see your highest dreams to be crushed, when you see your best hopes are dashed, when you find yourself hanging upside down in life, as it were, the natural question is, why? It's okay. I know, and you know, that this question pounds on the doors of heaven a million times a second, a million times a second, from hospital beds, from lonely bedrooms, from graveyards, from pillars that are stained with tears, from places where individuals and families are experiencing their own private Gethsemane. And God hears them all, and God receives them all, and God answers them all, sometimes, immediately, other times, in many years, and often He says, wait till you come home to glory, and I'll let you know why. (laughs) Now, I dare say that uh, most of us, if not all of us, have known the paradox of this widow, this widow in Zarephath. While she knew and experienced and lived in God's abundant blessing, then comes life's blasting, the death of her son. Just from my own personal experience, there are several times when this really happened in rapid succession. I only share two with you. On March of 1964, after a period of rebellion and a turning against God and and running away from what I knew, the call of him, his call on my life, I finally, on the, that day, 4th of March, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. And the joy and the ecstasy, yes, it is ecstasy, and the joy of my salvation, I was on high. In July of that year, my mother, who risked her life to have me, have prayed me into the kingdom died at the age of 55, March, July. God's blessings and life's blasting. Back in 1990, where this church was been going for a couple of years, and we were experiencing amazing blessing of God, souls were coming to Christ every week, and the church was growing in leaps and bounds. In the course of two weeks, just two weeks. We watched our 15-year-old hovering between life and death in the IC unit in the children's hospital and the intensive care unit. And sooner that God intervened and heard the prayer of the congregation, and He was so gracious to us, and, and, and she came out of hospital, and we rejoiced in God's blessing the following week. We checked my wife into another hospital nearby for a serious operation. You see, God's blessings and life's blasting go hand in hand. Now, I'm never going to tell you, I'm never going to tell anyone how I prayed during those weeks, because it will not edify you. (laughs) Trust me, it will not edify you. I didn't even tell my wife. I didn't tell anybody. But the thing I can testify to you today is that God did not fall off His throne because of my sorry prayer. He did. He's still on the throne. I'm going to come back and say some more about that too. In fact, I can tell you, and this is amazing grace, that in the middle of that sorry prayer, (laughs) I felt the love and embrace of the Lord like never before. It's the grace of God. God's blessings and life's blessing all at the same time. 
If you go up in this chapter, go, just go with me from where we are, 17, 18, 19, to 12. Go up to 12, and where those of you who heard the message, we saw there was a famine in the land. And, Jer- and Elijah lands in, there, in Zarephath, and there was a, a famine. And this Baal-worshipping widow was gathering a few sticks in order to take the few flowers and the oil and make a biscuit for her, one for her son, to eat it to be last meal and die. There you find the, this widow, this, this Baal-worshipping woman, was resigning herself that she and her son were dying. Are you with me? The, she, she was in total resignation about that. In fact, in that verse, you, you notice, if you look at it, verse 12, her sense of calm, of spirit, and heart about this pending death, you feel it. She was talking, as a matter of fact, we're going to die. There is a sense of resignation to her calamity. But then, look at verse 18. <laughs> In fact, you can put a, 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 a line there between 18 and 12. Verse 18, when her son dies, she immediately attacked Elijah with anger and with accusations. My beloved friends, listen, even if those of you watching around the world, if you heard me long enough, you have heard me at least once say that our emotions, while they're very, very important, I don't undermine them. I'm an emotional guy. So, emotions are very important, but they are unpredictable. While our emotions represent 25% of our personality, They cannot be trusted. Our emotions are designed by God to be a thermometer, not a thermostat. And this widow's anger was directed at God. Her anger was directed at God. But the man of God received the, blo- the, the brunt of it. <laughs> Elijah got the brunt of it. She's mad with God. Listen, in nearly 50 years of preaching, I can tell you, uh, I, I bore the brunt of a lot of anger with God. <laughs> when people get angry, they take it out on the pastor. You see, God is invisible. The pastor is very visible, especially back then when I used to be much bigger. <laughs> In homes, think about this, in homes, when a member of the family is angry with God, they take it out on the godliest member of the family. Why? Because like this woman's type of anger, it is often accompanied by guilt. Listen to me. Listen to me. All the anger that we see from people who are, whether they are in a homosexual lobbying group or the transgender lobbying, I'm not talking about people who are caught up in the lifestyle that they really don't know how to get off. I'm talking about those who are expressing anger, and they are hell-bent on teaching that stuff to our children as young as fifth for five years old. That comes out of guilt. That anger is out of guilt. They're they're created in God's own image, and they know what they're doing is contrary to creation and God's creation. And that guilt, they don't know it. They can't verbalize it, but it is. They're burning with guilt. So they show anger toward God because God is invisible. Then they vent on God's children, on the believers call them bigots, call them every name in the book. Just understand that. Thank you, I will. 
I will preach out. <laughs> Look at the second half again, second half of verse 18. Look at it with me again. Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? <laughs> Think about this. This is incredible. I mean, if you can't see this, the, the, the funny side of this, you know, God bless you. <laughs> Elijah saved her and her son. He saved him from certain death. Listen to me. Death always brings guilt to the surface. Always. Always. In all the years, whether it be in Australia or here where I've ministered, always. I, I didn't do enough of this, or I should have done this, or uh, I, 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 I didn't say this, and I should have said this. And, and I've seen people grieve at funerals, not only over the loss of the loved ones, but also their own sense of guilt and failure in the face of the inevitability of death for all of us. Remember this. This woman did not really know Yahweh. She really did not know Yahweh. Just was introduced to him by Elijah. And she has, hasn't, hasn't got to know him yet. So in her mind, she painted Yahweh with the same brush as Baal. And because Baal is a vindictive God, because Baal is the God of the tit-for-tat, because Baal is the God of a blow-for-blow, she thought Yahweh was vindictive too. But we know that the son died not because of her sin, but do you know what? This type of thinking, pagan thinking, impacted Israel. The neighbors, they, they began to think like their pagan neighbors. And even the people of God who knew and saw the hand of God working supernaturally again and again and again and again, they fell into this error of thinking that every calamity must be the result of sin. They did. You don't believe me? You can go to John chapter 9. When the man born blind, the disciples immediately asked Jesus, now remember this, he's born blind, okay? They said, did he sin or his parents? No, he sinned in the womb. This type of erroneous thinking is even prevalent in some churches today. And Jesus said, neither he nor his parents. It's just that God may be glorified in this. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Don't miss this. We are very quick to draw conclusion about other members of the body. We really are. We're quick to pass judgment on other members of the body. We are quick to connect dots. These dots don't even exist. <laughs> we are quick to tie sin, all sin, to calamities. That's wrong. That's wrong. Now, watch how God's visible hand, how the invisible God's hand, visible hand works in this situation. I just wanted to watch it. This is really what I love about anything in the Scripture. I always go back and see how God did this. And sometimes it tears me apart at His graciousness, at His incredible, incredible grace and mercy. That is why I want you to think about this. Just think with me, please. Think with me. Because this woman's anger with God and feeling of guilt represents so many people, even those who professing Christians. 
Millions of people today, we see them in our society, in our culture, who ignore God. Millions who uh, do not even acknowledge God or believe in God. And yet, in times of calamity, they become angry with God. I remember one time I asked a person who I know doesn't believe in God, who's saying something about God. I said, hey, you're fighting somebody who doesn't exist? <laughs> Ted Turner, the founder of CNN, went to a Christian school. He responded to an invitation in that school when a, um, at the age of 17 when a missionary was speaking. And he responded. He committed himself to go to missions because his sister became ill and died. He became so angry with God that he dedicated the rest of his life to fighting God. But look at the visible hand of the invisible God. God used his man, Elijah, his servant, to perform the very first resurrection ever in history. Did you get that? This is the first resurrection ever recorded. I want you to jot down a few principles I want to share with you. Please write them down if you can take notes because, as I said, if you don't need them now, you will need them one day because these come straight out of the Scripture. Not for me. I promise you I'm not smart enough to come up with any of this stuff. First principle Verse 19, Elijah did not defend himself. Don't miss this. This is important because we are dealing with a hostile culture. We are dealing with cancel culture. We are dealing with angry people. And I want you to know how to react and how to respond from this man of God. He did not defend himself, did not defend himself. Elijah did not tried to correct her faulty theology. Uh, he, Elijah, did not condemn her for her false belief, for her false views of Yahweh. I'm going to say, you, listen to me, lady. You are confusing Baal with Yahweh. My God is not like that. No, 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 no. He didn't say a thing of a sort. You know what he said? Now, four words. I want you to think with us. Four words. Give me your son. Say that with me, please. Give me your son. Say it again. Give me your son. Isn't that profound? Think about how we react. Very defensive all the time. Yeah. The truth will defend itself. Elijah had just been attacked. He'd just been assaulted. He'd just been reviled. Ah, oh, but he knew. He knew that this is pain is talking. He knew that this is hurt that was talking. He knew that this is her guilt talking. Sometimes when we are in the pit of pain, we lash out at those who are innocent, and yet they're near and dear to us. We take it out on them. I often ask, am I getting somebody else's mail? I have got somebody else's mail a lot. I remember many years ago, many years ago, and they've kind of really controlled the early part of this church. Uh, we, I had a, a phone call from a, a very angry lady, and she was angry. I mean, you can tell she was angry. And uh, she kept saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the one who's angry. It's my husband who's angry with you. He is mad at you. How dare you say Jesus is the only way to heaven? And she said, he is so mad with you. And she went on and on and on. I said, 
you know, in these times, I always say, Lord, help. <laughs> I don't have enough wisdom. I don't have anything to say. And then all of a sudden, I don't know how I came up with it. I just said, ask him to take a number. Their line is wrapping around the building <laughs> of people who are angry with me. <laughs> Here's the second principle. Keep writing it down. Verse 20. The first principle, responding to anger. Second principle, Elijah saved his questioning of God until he was alone with God. He saved his questioning of God until he was alone with God. Elijah never said these things that he said, I'm going to show you, in front of this, whether she's a pre-believer, new believer, or not believer at all. It didn't really matter because, you know, only God knew. But he would not say what he said when he went up to the prophet's chamber because he knew that this woman is riddled with guilt and doubt. Elijah's prayer, verse 20, look at it with me, please. Underline it, underline it if you like. That prayer, are you listening? Is not a good prayer. It's not a good prayer. In fact, I can tell you categorically that it was a bad prayer. He asked me, Michael, Elijah is a man of God. How can he pray a bad prayer? I mean, he was so dear to God that he never died. He just took off, as we will see later on. Yeah. But remember what James said? He was a man like... He was a man like... He was a man like... Yeah. He was just as wrong... As a woman, he was just about God. I wanted to look at it. But don't forget, he too was perplexed. He too was agitated. And he prayed the wrong prayer. I've done that. I already told you. Thank God that the older... And it's not the age, but the longer I walk with Jesus, the longer I fall in love with Him, the, the, the more I trust Him, the less I pray those sorry prayers. <laughs> Thank God. Why, why I'm saying this? Because Elijah's prayer accuses God of bringing tragedy instead of merely permitting it so that He may be glorified in it. Are you with me? Now, beloved, listen to me. Please listen to me. Our God is not the author of evil. Our God uses what the evil does to turn it for good of His children and for His glory. But not only that. But because our God is an awesome God, because our God is a merciful God, because our God is a kind God, He allows us to say some sorry prayers, especially when we are hurt, frustrated, confused, and agitated. But even then, even then, God did not get dizzy and fall off His throne because Elijah prayed the wrong prayer. Can you imagine God sitting on His throne in heaven and saying, well, I'm not going to take any more of these bad prayers from my children? No, 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 no. God is infinitely merciful, and He waits for us to recover from our condition, discover the truth, repent.
and ask for his forgiveness. Third principle. Keep writing. Third principle. Don't want you to miss it. Your intense and persistent praying according to the will of God will make a difference. I don't mean you're going to pull off a resurrection. <laughs> That's not what I mean. But when you have nothing left but God, when you have stripped yourself of everything but God, when you took hold of the horns on the altar, as it were, and never give up praying according to the will of God, God will respond to your prayers. Fourth principle, very quickly. Elijah went to the place where he meets with God on a daily basis. He goes to the place, the prophet's chamber, where he communes with God regularly, a place that he has set aside for fellowshipping with God. So much so that when calamity came, he took his calamity to God, to the very place where he communed with God. I think most of us have a place like that where we daily meet with God in a special way. And if you don't, you should. Listen to me. That same place that he used to praise God, it became an altar on which he offered his calamity when they struck. The same place where you spend praising God, reveling in his word, rejoicing in your salvation, that same place where you do that on a daily basis, you can take your calamity and place them on the altar when calamity is struck strikes. Look at verse 21. I don't want you to miss the intensity of this prayer of the man of God, Elijah. Intensity. Bible said he stretched himself upon the boy three times. Why did he do that? Now those who see the Trinity everywhere, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now we, have the, we can see the Trinity in the Old Testament, but not here. <laughs> they will see Trinity here. Oh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit three times. No, no, no. The truth is, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But listen to me. This is the first resurrection of the dead ever recorded in biblical history. Elijah did not have a manual to go on the shelf and get that manual out and go to and look under the section that says, raising from a little boy, Gentile boy from the dead. <laughs> I think when Elijah was brokenhearted and weeping and sobbing before God. He did this because he did not know what else to do, as if the vitality in him can breathe in that boy, as if to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes, but ultimately it is God who can perform the miracle. It's God who can perform the miracle. Something else I don't want you to miss. This miracle of the first resurrection ever, ever, first resurrection, this miracle did not happen in Jerusalem. It did not happen in Galilee. It happened in Zarephath, South Lebanon. It's important. Don't limit God like Israel did. They put him in a location. They said, God is here and nowhere else. What an amazing God we have. What an amazing God we have. 
But I also want you to, most important, the most important thing, if you, I missed you, if, if you missed everything I said, don't miss what I'm going to say, okay? The most important thing, and I want you to see here, is God's reaction. God's response. God's response, because that reveals to us, as every page of the Scripture, the character of God. The Word of God simply said, Without fanfare, without noise, that he heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life was restored to him, and he lived. That's it. That's it. Movie producers would have had thousands of extras. <laughs> they would have had crowds clapping and cheering and angels singing and trumpets blowing, or like those who claim to be healers trotting on the platform like peacocks. No, 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 no showmanship, no television cameras, no cheering, clapping crowd. The boy did not write a best-selling book, What I Saw on the Other Side of Death. <laughs> the sad irony is that so many of these people, after selling millions of books, some of them, not all of them, come clean and confess that they made it all up. I want to tell you something that I absolutely believe with every ounce of my being. I only place my complete, total confidence in the one who truly died and was buried, but on the third day he rose again from the dead. He's enough for me. He's enough for me. I don't need somebody tells me what they saw on the other side, supposedly died and came back. I don't need any of this. Jesus is enough. Here the Word of God simply says, God did it. That's it. God did it. I'm convinced that God is performing miracles every time His Word is open, and we're probably never going to hear of it this side of heaven. Absolutely no. What was this unbeliever, pre-believer, new believer, whatever, you want to categorize her, this widow from Zarephath, what was her response? God did it. God did it. Now I know you are the man of God. Why? Because she saw the reality, the intensity, and the integrity of faith under fire. And she testified to the Word of God when she said, I know, I know that the Word of God came to me from through you. One last thing. One last thing. This woman was honored in the most honored list in Hebrews chapter 11. We call it Faith Hall of Fame. By faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob. Remember that? Chapter 11, Hebrews. She's there. I told you in the last message that Jesus, his very first sermon in Nazareth, in the synagogue, his very first sermon, he referred to her and to Elijah. And I told you why they want to kill him. Now she's honored to be in the list of all the great saints of God. Faith Hall of Fame. Verse 35 of Hebrews 11. You don't have to turn to it, just write it down. 35, verse 35, Hebrews 11. It says, women received back their dead, raised to life again. Referring to her. Now and only now. Elijah is ready for the big league. Now and only now, he's ready for the prime time. 
Now he's ready for the biggest showdown between Yahweh and Baal. I'll give you the details in the coming messages. Some of you right here, listen, I'm about to close, seriously, or the, some of you who are watching, maybe experiencing the warmth of God's blessing. Praise God, wonderful. But always be prepared when calamity strikes, because sooner or later it will, to all of us. Prepare for life's blasting. Others of you are going through the life's blasting right now. I know some of you personally. You need to start praying and preparing for God's blessing. For a surely coming, surely coming. In either case, God wants to be glorified in you and 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 me. God wants to be glorified. God wants to be glorified in you. Would you stand up with me? Because that's going to be the shortest prayer that you've ever prayed. And I want to say it first, and I want you to pray it with me. Lord, please be glorified in me. Now, let's pray it together. Lord, please be glorified in me. Let's, let's shout it loud. Lord, please be glorified And Lord Jesus, we are privileged people to have our spiritual eyes open to know that we are sinners and need a Savior and that we are saved, redeemed, sanctified, and that we are on our way to heaven, and we can't wait. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's remain standing.